you for joining us for Woke Moments, a conversation on issues and hot topics impacting young generations. My name is Janet Kelly, and I am the Executive Director of Sanctuary of Hope, as well as your host. So now let's jump into a moment of awakening. Woke Moment! Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Sanctuary of Hope's podcast, where we have conversations on issues that young people and their communities care about. For the month of May, um, Woke Moments is recognizing Foster Care Awareness Month. And the topic for today is Faith Matters in Foster Care. I definitely want to thank our guests for joining us for this very important discourse on faith roots in the foster care system, as well as faith advocacy and support, and faith as a protective factor for foster youth. And faith as a form of cultivation too, to um, not only to be embraced in the foster care system, but also to cultivate within foster youth as well. So, for today's discussion, I am just going to briefly call on each one of our guests to share a brief introduction about themselves, starting with Nancy Harris, who is the Executive Director of Faith Foster Families, aka 3FN, followed by Tanisha Saunders, who is a community advocate, um, a community active, activist, as well as a former foster youth. And then concluding with the introductions will be Christian D. Green, who is a professor, educator, and author of the book, Uncovering Your Worth from Legal Custody to UCLA, a fellow Bruin in the house. <laughs> Woo-hoo, Nancy. <laughs> Good morning, and thank you so much, uh, Janet, for inviting me to the podcast this morning. It's an honor. Um, as uh, has been mentioned, I'm Nancy Harris, the Executive Director of the Faith Foster Families Network. And I have actually come into the foster care space relatively um, uh, not that long ago, actually. I'm a, I'm a relative newbie to the subject. But what touched me uh, was being involved in an event that had us rallying the faith community to support and bring in uh, new families to be foster parents. In South LA, there was a crisis, which still exists. And uh, we, the faith community was called to be a part of the solution and try to rally the community to be of, a, of support. So the Faith Foster Families Network was formed as an outgrowth of that. And today um, we are six organizations, churches and faith-based organizations that have come together to support foster families, foster youth, and uh, everything around the foster uh, care system here in South LA. Uh, my background prior to that, I've been in faith-based community development with Holman Community Development Corporation. And in general, my career has, uh, my, the longest part of my career has actually been in real estate and uh, real estate finance, uh, which is how, long, that's another whole long story, but as a part of that, that's how I got involved in faith-based community development. And then here I sit today. So thank you once again and excited to be in the conversation. All right, thank you, Tanisha. 
Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Tanisha Saunders. I was born and raised in Compton, California, as well as Hawthorne. And um, I'm a former foster youth. I was actually placed in foster care when I was 16, so a little bit relatively um, older in age than the typical um, foster youth enters, enters the system. And um, I've had to overcome many facets of adversity, such as foster care, homelessness, um, community gun violence. Um, and today I work as a live-in resident coordinator working with youth who are transitioning um, out of homelessness into permanent housing. So throughout my advocacy and activism, I've been fortunate enough to be in community um, as a community organizer with the National Foster Youth Institute, a uh, community organizer with Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, as well as worked in um, government capacities as a fellow with um, Nuri Martinez, the Los Angeles City Councilwoman, as well as a policy fellowship within the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority. And so I've gotten to see the unique perspectives of how policy is created. And through those experiences, I currently get to see how policy is implemented. And using my unique lived experience, I continue to advocate and I'm an activist, and I was telling Miss um, Janet Kelly earlier, I feel like I'm in, in a transition period because I was in the streets for years, you know, from 2016 to 2018, just really, really activating folks and encouraging folks and for my own personal stability, which I think is not talked about a lot. Um, I had to go into the professional world and use my advocacy skills in a different way. So I'm, I'm happy and honored to be here to share my experience and be in community with you all. Thank you. Christian. Definitely, definitely. Good morning, everybody. Um, I, I'm so excited to be a part of this panel. Thank you, Ms. Kelly, for inviting us. I'm amongst other advocates. And so, you know, it's a great morning, you know, oh, even on a Thursday. Happy uh, National Foster Care Awareness Month. So I'm a, a leader out here in the Antelope Valley, uh, Lancaster, Palmdale area. Um, I'm a professor, community uh, organizer, um, just like Ms. Saunders, um, uh, definitely with Black Lives Matter, but also right now I'm working specifically with Council to Contract AB, as well as U.S. Uh, Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation Coalition. Um, I served as a youth pastor since 2008, so about 13 years now, um, motivational speaker. Uh, I sit on the board of CASA. I don't know if anyone knows about CASA, but you know, our court appointed special advocates, and so I definitely want to shout out to them. Um, and just like uh, Tanisha, I am also a former foster youth. And so this is what's dear to me. Um, I wrote a book, as Ms. Kelly said, it's called Uncovering Your Worth from Legal Custody to UCLA. And in that book, we really highlight um, our experiences, my experiences as a foster youth, you know, growing up in a legal custody, that experience, and then also going through um, living in a group home, then getting adopted or going through the foster care system. And now even as a Tay youth, you know, not really uh, knowing where to live. And we'll talk about that later, but, you know, uh, just realizing about our work as uh, foster youth, understanding our stories and uh, owning them. And so this is what that, that book highlights. And so I'm excited to be a part of this panel and I will cut it short. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. And so we want to kind of delve into what is the relationship right now between faith and foster care? And Nancy, right now, you are in the process of leading um, a lot of work here within our region around connecting 
the dots between faith and foster care. So can you share a little bit about your, your work with that? And also um, I will call on you, Christian and Tanisha to chime in after. Absolutely. So as, as many of you people of faith know that in the Bible, there are many and numerous calls for us to take care of uh, the vulnerable children uh, widows, people that are um, needing our support. So it is built within us as Christians to step up to the plate in this uh, arena. However, what we found, leading back to going back to the 2017 uh, event, what we found was a lot of our faith community were not aware of the plight and the situation of our children that have ended up in the foster care system. Uh, many of your uh, uh, participants that are with us today probably know that, uh, especially in the African-American population, we are overrepresented in the foster care system. Uh, and the numbers are uh, staggering and that tide needs to be reversed. The only way we are going to be able to make some movement in these areas is if we pull together as a community. And the faith community, being that we are uniquely called to do this, uh, is the group to do this. And so we have rallied um, uh, the churches, six, as I mentioned before, to really step in the gap in many ways and really, first of all, um, start educating our congregations. So many people, you know, foster care, I found was very, very interesting topic because it's kind of like a secret, you know, secret society, <laughs> you know, not, you don't know a lot about it unless you know someone that has been touched by it. But if you don't, if your family or you don't know anyone that's been touched by it, you know very little about it. And so that's what we found. So a lot of our work is around raising awareness, educating uh, our congregations and our community uh, on um, statistics and where we can always step in. The other interesting thing about our work is that we are trying to encourage people to uh, be of a support system from top to bottom, not only stepping in to uh, become uh, resource foster parents, if that is your calling, but even to step into the arena to help at an event. You know, if we're doing a um, food distribution or resource distribution for families impacted by child welfare, getting the community engaged and helping in that level, and then as people learn and become more comfortable, then we can move them up to various uh, different ways that they can serve. Um, at the Faith Foster Family Network, we do tangible resource distribution along with our education and awareness. And that is to uh, families in the system, that is to foster youth, whatever someone may need. In fact, before I jumped on this, we were actually uh, talking about, um, I was talking to some of my colleagues arranging some items for a um, foster youth that is um, actually expected. And so we're pulling together, pulling resources together for that. Um, but also being there to be mentors, being there to provide that spiritual support. And I know we're gonna get into this uh, a, a little bit deeper because there have been conversations, you know, not, not, not everybody is comfortable um, stepping into the faith arena. We've had to adjust 
the way we handle ourselves as it relates to this population. So I'll stop there. And... Tanisha, in listening to uh, Ms. Harris share, what do you, I mean, that's a lot of information, especially around the need for more faith groups and populations and congregations to be involved. So can you share um, your background and experience about connections of faith to foster care? Yeah, definitely. I've just been soaking everything up about the Faith Foster, faith foster Families Network because it just, it, it really warms my heart that this organization is, you know, came about because as me personally, um, Christianity, religion, and faith were a big part of my childhood. But as I grew older and faced many different things, many um, faced abuse in my household, my faith was definitely tested. And it still to this day is something that I have to um, build a foundation around because for me, it was a big, big disconnect how me and my family would go to church every Sunday, but then we would live our lives. That was quite different from the stories we heard in church. That was much different from the community that was talked about in church. So for me, there was a huge disconnect. And I see um, that there's a great opportunity, like Ms. Nancy was saying, about raising awareness and not just once families enter the child welfare system, the church and, and our faith community has a great opportunity to be interventionalists, to intervene, to be a resource for families because a lot of families, a lot of children who enter the child welfare system, as you talked about that disparity, um, black children specifically are 10% of the population but represent 40% of the foster um, foster care children. And so one of the things that I looked at when I went to school, I didn't talk about my educational background, sorry y'all. One of the things that I looked at when I went to school was why was that? And a lot of times that came down to neglect. Well, neglect is a very broad band um, arena to group people in. So neglect could be that your mother is a single mother and she has to go to work to provide for the family and leaves her child or a 12-year-old at home to watch her eight-year-old. That, that is considered neglect. So the church and the faith community has opportunities, so many opportunities to be interventionalists, not just once a family enters the child welfare system, but to address those gaps that exist that push people into um, push people into these um, into the child welfare system. And so there's there's many different ways that the church can show up before families enter the child welfare system because it's for me personally, um, I went from being a straight A student to failing out of high school when I was placed into foster care because like Miss Nancy said, it's not something that's talked about. It's not something that folks know a lot about and it's actually very negatively stigmatized. So when I was placed in the foster care system, for me and my family, I felt a lot of shame. I felt that I was telling my family's business when, you know, if you grow up in, in a family that's Black or families of color, what goes on in our house stays in our house. And that may be right. for even more families. But that's also how abuse is uh, allowed to permeate and, and last for so long. Um, 
So like I said, from my personal experience, my faith was tested for so long that I didn't truly understand faith. I didn't truly understand religion. And like I said, that's something that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I really understood the, the impact and the opportunities that churches have to be that support. Because, you know, unfortunately in low-income neighborhoods, you have liquor stores and you have churches on every other corner. And that's not to be funny, that's a reality. So you already have that established infrastructure to show up. You have families, you have children that are coming into your churches, into your faith communities, um, whatever it may look like. And I think if we're more being more honest and open and having these conversations, like Ms. Nancy Harris was saying, spreading awareness, then folks are able, especially children are able to be like, hey, that sounds like something I'm going through. Hey, this may be a safe place for me. Because I think a lot of times from my personal perspective is, you know, growing up, I, I felt that it was very contradictory. I felt that it was, you know, we have to act one way in the church, we have to act one way in the community. And then when we get home, it's a completely different way. So I'm definitely a troublemaker. I've been this way since I was eight, very outspoken um, because I was eight, our children, millennials and Generation Z, we not having it. We, we not having it. If we're going into spaces and we're not being spoken to and we're not being um, acknowledged, if our situations are not being acknowledged and that's foster care, foster care, homelessness, that is the criminal justice system, that is our education system. Mm-hmm. And this is, like I said, these are infrastructures that already exist. So I'm really, really glad to be in community with the face foster faith foster families. You got to say that three times twice. Oh my God, I'm getting tongue tied. But I'm just so excited that you all exist. And I look forward to continuing to work with you all and spreading awareness because the faith community is one of our largest communities, if not the largest community, especially in South LA. And there's a unique opportunity to not just add to those six partnerships that you already have, but to really stand up and address these disparities um, and stop these pipelines into the foster care system because we know what happens when our children and our families enter the foster care system. More oftentimes than not, there are many negative outcomes and there are pipelines to, you know, the prison industrial system, to homelessness and all these other things. So definitely excited to, to know about your organization and to work with you. And I think, I mean, what you even hit on to Tanisha is even, and, and Nancy, is just how powerful our pulpits, our, our places of worship, our sanctuaries are very strong, powerful platforms in which we can um, collaborate more with around the foster care system. And Christian just shared with us that he's clergy, right? He's a youth pastor. (laughs) So what type of ministries can play a role in advancing um, issues around foster care? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, It brings me back to the scripture about, um, in the Bible, it talks about how Jesus replied, uh, love your God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, you know, your, your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, right? But then the second is, to love your neighbor as yourself, 
And so when we think about love in 2021 and in the foster care system, and Jesus even told us to like suffer the children, you know, forbid them not to come unto me. What does love look like in faith networks or in our clergy or in uh, uh, churches? Uh, what does that look like in today's time frame? And so this is something that is pivotal to me and critical to me because we really, really need to figure out um, you know, what is the church, what is the church doing outside of the four walls? This is always something that we talk about, at least in my church, you know, in our churches out here, we're really trying to be, you know, service is so, oh, I don't want to say it's traditional, but usually, you know, you try to stay within the four walls, you try to stay within your own networks and your cliques and whatnot. But when we realize that there are children that are out there, like uh, Tanisha said, that are homeless, that are being, um, you know, uh, put into this prison pipeline, this prison pipeline situation, when children are dying and committing suicide, what do we do as faith leaders to really help? Um, our children. And this is something that is really uh, necessary. So what we've been doing in the Antelope Valley, we've partnered up with DCFS, Department of Children and Family Services. We're doing a specific program of reaching out to the different churches that are out here um, that are about action. Faith without works is dead. We can talk about it all day, but what are you doing, you know, for your people in the community? How are you getting out? Do you have a plan? to reach these children, you know? And I don't think that people are really ready to foster just yet, but what other ways can you, tangible ways to, for you to help? And this is, I think this is why we're here today is to talk about those tangibles. And one way is to really sign up through this idea because it's called a care portal. And I'll talk about it later as well. Um, it's just really a, a, a database for foster youth, parents, uh, group homes to uh, alert the local churches, hey, we are in need of a bed, we're in need of uh, groceries, we're in need of uh, some school supplies. And it's a way for us to really, really um, put some action to our faith. And so, yeah, there's many ways. I want to challenge everyone that's listening today, especially if you're in church, uh, whether you're an usher or a deacon or the, you know, you're the pastor, whatever you are, everyone in the church plays a role. And so we have to really make sure that it's not just the pastor's responsibility or the youth pastor's responsibility or the community liaisons. It is, we are the church. So if we know that we are the church, how do we get out there and exemplify being the church, which is Jesus, and that is love. Mm -hmm. And Pastor Saul's always say, everyone can do something. So whether it's big or small, find out what that something is and do it. So... You know, one of the critical pieces to the foster care system is the actual prevention piece. How or what we need to do as a faith network to prevent families and children from engaging and falling into the foster care system. And we know that some groups, of course, particularly um, communities of color, and more specifically, Black families uh, often have encounters with the foster care system that results in separation. And a lot of times that separation really has to do with, you know, basic kind of quality of life standards, as one would say. And I know that there is a um, a whole new movement now to really address that through, what's the term? And I know that you were recently on uh, a podcast or a, a panel, Christian. It's blind, help me out. Oh, blind removals. Blind removals. So yeah. if you can, Christian, can you share a little bit about that and, and how we can um, really move towards prevention and then 
of course, we'll follow after Christian, Tanisha, and then Nancy. Yeah, definitely. I think um, in regards to uh, blind removals, first and foremost, you have to create that relationship. Um, the churches need to create these relationships with these parents. They need to connect with these parents, offer them different resources. And, you know, this is before something happens with the family, just kind of like what uh, Tanisha was hitting on in regards to neglect. Some of our parents just don't know how to be good parents. And so do we fault them for that? No, because we don't know what kind of generational things that they were dealing with, generational trauma. My, my mom was heavily, uh, she was incarcerated when she had me, so I was born in prison. So she was dealing with her own drug problems and issues and trauma. She was a false youth, right? She didn't know how to break that curse. So first and foremost, as leaders in the church, we've got to figure out um, the person, that family, how do we identify with them and connect them with the different resources to prevent this from even happening in the future. If it was not for my grandmother that came and picked me up from two days old, which was a church mother in the church, you know, love God. So I was at noonday prayer every, every day. Um, shout out to Geraldine. And so, you know, it was, it, it's us about establishing those connections with these families, you know, not just when they come on Sunday or on Tuesday or when they give an offering, you know, you know, paying the tithes. What are we doing to build these uh, relationships and empowering them, whether it's through financial literacy, through education, um, through community awareness, uh, politics, whatever it is, we have to set them up for success and not try to hinder them through, you know, other ways. And I, I can go on and on about that. But when we bring it back to AB 656 and we're dealing with blind removals, this is really, really um, trying to prevent um, black and foster youth, black and uh, brown foster youth, Latinx, um, from getting... Uh, it's at the initial phone call, you know, people really, there is, racism exists. <laughs> there, we, let's just talk about it. I'm a critical race theorist, Tanisha as well. We talk about race. Race exists, especially within the social welfare system. Black and brown kids make up the majority of us, uh, of the foster youth population. And even in Antelope Valley, we're about one third of LA County's population of foster So we have a heavy foster youth population out here. So when they receive these first calls, it's usually a bias involved, right? So you hear, uh, Rodriguez, or you hear Williams, or you, you know, based upon the last name or about, about the, the incident and whatnot. So what the blind removals is doing is, I think, is a, 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 a way for us as um, foster youth and different agencies is to really tackle and add research to that. You know, removing the names, removing the, the, the uh, race, removing the ages, except X, Y, and Z. And over a three-year plan, um, they're going to research it. They're going to figure out, you know, is this really stopping us from separating and this is what it brings it boils down to from separating families, because, you know, we really want to make sure that the family is intact and they are um, well versed. They know what they're doing. And so um, for me, I think AB 656 blind removals will give us an opportunity to really look at race, even though we live in people think we live in a colorblind society. However, this is going to be a new opportunity uh, for us to research, add some data. And if it don't work, then we'll figure out something else, figure something else out. Sorry. <laughs> Tanisha? Yeah, and, and definitely there are cases where children should be removed. Let, let's be clear about that. We're not saying that um, it's always racism or always these things. In my personal case, I believe I should have been removed because of the abuse that I faced. So there are those percentages of the situations where children and families need to be strengthened or, or separated to be strengthened. And I think um, the, the faith community has a, a great opportunity 
because I guess going back to neglect is my focus because the majority, again, of children who are removed are based on neglect. So basically, we're punishing folks for needing support, for needing tangible resources. And so again, when we talk about protective factors, um, the faith community has a great opportunity to step up because, you know, when you look at a family and they're connected to a, they're connected to an organization who supports them with, say, childcare, who supports them with, you know, obtaining employment, that, that family is that much more strengthened because they have connections to pro-social support in their community. So I think it's really important that we just emphasize, um, not just the foster care parents, like Miss Nancy was saying, but just being holistic in the way that we support our families and our children um, and really being a safe haven. And I think for me, like I was talking about um, my personal experiences, it wasn't until I was an adult that I really garnered these pro social experiences with the church. And that was off of Adams. That was um, McCarty Memorial. Um, through my organizing with the Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, they had a freedom school, something that they put together with volunteers to provide um, a freedom school education, food, um, daily activities in the summer for, um, for families who were not just in need, but wanted their children and the children wanted to be educated on abolition, wanted to be educate, educated on what Black Lives Matter is and in a safe community. And so for the church to open that opportunity up for free uh, um, was a big deal to me because it was like, here you are showing up in community addressing multiple different things. No, it wasn't specifically about foster care, but those are protective factors. And then going over to Holman with Pastor Sauls, which he's just so amazing. Like, I think he's like my uncle. Um, because I was fortunate enough to be a servant leader intern with the Reed Lee Freedom Schools through the Children's Defense Fund. So one week I'm down the street at McCarty Memorial, then the next week I go up to Holman and start a six-week um, school opportunity where we were working with families during the summer again to provide education, um, child care, safe community environments so that, you know, that's helping families so they're not overstressed about childcare while they're also working. Their children are in a place where they're protected. Their children are in a place where they can be social, where they can learn. So they're not experiencing that learning gap, which happens over the summer for a lot of our families. So I just talking about protective factors in non-traditional ways and how the faith community can step up with their existing infrastructure is just huge to me. Um, and so yeah, that's, that's I forgot what the question was, but I that. <laughs> you did a good job, Nancy. Can you talk a little bit about even some of the work that Rhea Finn is doing around strengthening families, um, so that one for those who um, have not entered the foster care system um, can can have the necessary supports for their families, as well as those who are currently. Um, supporting young people within the foster care system so that um, young people can feel a sense of permanency. Yes. So um, before I, I comment on that, I want to go back and comment on the blind removal um, uh, process. We were, uh, one of our education 
awareness sessions, we did have uh, Dr. Jessica Price, who's uh, out of Florida State, who uh, was part of the initial blind removal study that was done in uh, Nassau County, New York. And they had great results in uh, in New York and, and found that it did reduce the number of children of color going into the system. And so I, I just want to lift that up again. I'm very supportive of LA County uh, being bold enough to uh, take a look at that and see if that's something that could definitely work in uh, LA. Um, but in terms of prevention, one of the things as a network, this is the beauty of the network, uh, we have some network partners that do uh, focus on preventive, you know, this is part of prevention, preventive uh, services. We have West Angeles Community Development Corporation, which does anger management, does parenting classes, um, you know, domestic violence classes. And uh, we've got uh, Del Air Baptist Church, uh, Pastor John Jefferson, and his church focused with an intentional laser focus on fathers. And so they do fatherhood classes and uh, uh, parental training, uh, those types of things too. So again, it's about, it's about getting the word out and it's about letting people know that these services are, do actually exist in the community now within uh, the faith community, not, not everybody. Uh, because, you know, it, it is a capacity issue, you know, not every church is able to, you know, provide those types of services, but uh, we're very fortunate in our network that we do have uh, those um, uh, entities like that that do provide those those types of services. Um, Holman, um, which is my church, uh, and so Holman, uh, their community development corporation focuses on youth uh, workforce uh, preparedness and, and um, you know, summer work experiences to start getting, especially uh, foster youth, prepared for those types of things. Um, we are also getting ready to uh, look at doing um, life skills, uh, partnering up with other organizations in the uh, community to offer some life skills um, classes too for, for adults, uh, again, coupled with the parenting classes that go on within our organizations um, that can definitely help with the preventive model. Um, you know, we, we, we are dealing, and I, and I alluded to this earlier, but we're dealing uh, with one of our um, clients now who's very young and is expecting a baby. And so, um, you know, we are looking to wrap around uh, every service possible to make sure that she continues to go to school. Uh, I think you need to unmute yourself, Nancy. Okay, am I good now? Sorry. Yes. I don't know what you heard, but anyway, this young client that we have that is expecting, uh, wrapping around that client uh, to make sure that they have all the life uh, supporting skills that they need, and even her family. Uh, 
so that they don't, they're not currently in the system, but they are close to being in the system. And so we are trying to step in at this point to provide um, not only the tangible goods that may be needed, but also letting that person know that there are parenting classes. We're here for you for that. We're here for you for counseling if, mm -hmm. if you need to be connected to a mental health source. Uh, counseling source. We're here to provide you with some, uh, you know, job readiness training if that is um, something that's needed. So uh, I think just going back and really looking at it all as a whole, again, it, it you know, church capacity, there is a, um, that can be an issue, but going back to uh, the comment that I made, that everybody's made, that everybody can do something even if you as a church member are helping at an event, mm -hmm. these and supporting, these are important things that every church can do. Again, literally, I'm in the process of rallying some of our church members to step up for some of these goods uh, that we're talking about. And Christian, I'm very familiar with the care portal also too. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we, uh, we like to think of ourselves as the mini care portal. Uh, we are uh, supplying and servicing those tangible needs to people right here in the South LA uh, community. But my point was gonna be is that it is still an issue of raising awareness and letting folks know um, what's happened. I've, I've often found it so interesting that, you know, because these services, and Janet knows this, and you all know this too, that services, there's never been really a lack of services out there. There has been a lack of services definitely in South LA for whatever reason that that has been. And, and probably in the Antelope Valley too up until, up until recently, but their pocket, their services all around. So what we wanna to try to do is make sure we flood the South LA area. And I'm sure they're doing this in Antelope Valley too. We wanna flood this area with services. And we have to let folks know that there are, um, whether it's through your, well, primarily through your churches, you can get connected to these services and you don't have to travel uh, or, or let there be a transportation issue that keeps you from uh, getting those services. That is the whole point of activating the faith community is to say, hey, we're here, we've got these facilities, we've got people, and we have them right next door to you. Um, it's just getting that word out and raising the awareness and letting people know uh, that, that we're here. So we're, we're, we're gonna talk about faith, foster parents, and kinship care, right? Because they're so needed, especially for older children in the foster care, who are wanting and longing for relationships and a home. So um, Christian, you talked about being in kinship care and talk about you know, some of the benefits of that as well as the benefits of growing up um, in that in faith. Definitely. Um, it's so much to unpack here. <laughs> so with me, um, you know, our my grandmother that raised me was how do I say this? I hope you guys can follow it. Was my was my 
mother's baby daddy's mom. And so, um, you know, not necessarily blood, right? And so I was raised by my boss, uh, my, my, I consider her blood to, you know, until she passed away when I was 15. So I didn't know that until maybe three or four years ago. So recently, it goes back to secrets and all the other jazz. Anyways, being raised in the kinship care family, around my cousins, around my brother, um, my sisters, my nieces and nephews, that was the blessing of that. Not necessarily having to be put in place with other uh, people that I did not know. So I think that for me, um, I didn't really grow up like too much struggling because my grandmother and my grandfather, they were, they, you know, they were retired. Um, you know, they were getting, uh, you know, financial services through the state and whatnot. Growing up in the church, we were able to have that support system, really, in Sunday school, right? I, was, I loved Sunday school growing up in Fresno. I was raised in Fresno during those time frames. Um, and then came out to Lancaster. And so for the church and growing up in the faith world, faith is what really uh, kept me. And that is something that I, I say all the time. It was nothing but faith and hope and keeping that alive, you know, and believing that, you know, that God has a greater purpose for me, my life, you know, despite my parents not being there, despite them not wanting to be there, you know, despite them uh, having their own problems and trauma, it was a real blessing for me to uh, be raised by my grandmother. And so that's why I started a nonprofit. It's called Jerry's Place. And so Dylan is named after Geraldine. And so uh, because of her and making that impact, that is what allows us to, you know, think about our legacy. You know, false you, just because we don't have those familial ties, doesn't mean that we cannot be successful. Me and Tanisha are living examples of that, right? And so because of kinship care, I think that's what allowed me. Shout out to my aunties if they watch this. Um, and so, you know, strong black women, my grandmother, my grandfather, and uh, being around my, my family is what really helped. Tanisha? You're gonna have to repeat the question. <laughs> so um, about the need, the definite need for, um, more foster parents, more homes, oh, especially for, sure. um, for those who are older youth who are in the foster care system who need a loving environment to go into. Yeah, definitely. I think that there there is definitely a need, and I just go back to what Miss Nancy Harris was saying: is that there's there's levels to this. So I think just how their um, churches and faith communities that are listening and they're talking about capacity um, that, you know, there are different ways that you can be involved, but it's, there's, there's so many supportive systems out there. So if it's something that you're interested in, but you don't quite feel ready to like jump in head first, there's a process for it. So you don't have to be um, like all, ready right now but I think just connecting with folks who are doing this work like the Faith Foster Families Network um, to prepare yourself for if it's not something that you're prepared to do how can you support but I think there's a strong need for foster parents who want to be foster parents for the right reasons who are in it for the right reasons who are not going to do more harm than good um, and the lives of these children and their families. And I think that there, there's a huge need for families of color, for Black families, for families who are embedded in these communities that the children come from. I was very fortunate enough to, when I entered the foster care system, I was not 
displaced miles and miles away, you know, because sometimes you go from LA out to Lancaster. And so you're taken uprooted from your community um, and placed into these, these foreign places. So I think it's really important that folks engage and become foster parents or at least start to learn how to have these discussions be more knowledgeable about the foster care system their local communities and i also um wanted to jump into a previous conversation i kind of talked about it here um folks who are listening i think it's okay to be like i don't have that capacity right now or or the church or the faith communities to be like i don't i don't know if that's something i can do i think just at least putting yourself out there and seeing what you can do is super important it's a first step because you know there are resources that can come to you i, I don't see why there's a problem why everybody has to go to dpss or these formal offices when if you're a church if you are a faith faith-based community and you have the infrastructure, if we can start bringing these services to your community, maybe it's Tuesday through Thursday during certain hours that you have a hub at your location, that could make such a big difference for people who, you know, don't feel comfortable because race is a big problem. Or, you know, if you don't have a certain income, you're look, you feel like you're being looked down upon. If you can go to somewhere in your community, such as your church, to access resources, I think that make that will make a big difference in, um, in families getting access to the care that they need instead of having to be forced into situations where it's like they're being penalized for needing support. So there are many different ways that the faith community can show up. Um, and there's many different opportunities for folks to become foster parents um, or foster community. We don't just need foster parents. We also need communities that are supportive of those foster parents because you, you often get foster parents who may feel shame because it is difficult. It is hard and they may not want to speak up about these things. So you can have foster parent groups. You can have basically building community around the foster care system is what we need um, so much more. And again, the faith community is it's right there. You have the infrastructure and you know, even if you don't feel like you have the capacity, there's room. Everybody can do something. Yes. And the and the faith community is literally in your face. And and that's part of the work that 3FN is doing, um, and I'm hoping Nancy will share share about, is around foster parent recruitment. Yeah. Nancy? And Christian, you, you want yeah, uh, to... And, and then I'll get back to that, Janet. So before Ms. Harris, talk, Ms. Harris talks about that, I, I just want to add my, my youth pastor, after my grandmother passed away, that raised me from two days old at 15, my youth pastor, church, um, came in and they uh, took me in as their as their own, being my foster family. So really, faith foster families. You know, we created a foster family at that time, right? So my his mom, uh, Bernetta, shout out to Bernetta. She uh, raised me from uh, 15 and a half. You know, I went to a group home for a month. That was the worst experience of my life. And then um, after that, I went went into the foster care system with and uh, with the Doris family. And uh, it was because of my youth pastor and my foster mom, they, they had that relationship, of course, with my grandmother and stuff of that nature because of, you know, I, I was in the ministry doing stuff. I was really active as a youth leader, but also just realizing that, you know what, let me step up to the plate. Let's see how we can do it and see how we can help. Now, he wasn't able to do it. However, his mom was able to do it. 
uh, Miss Vernetta. And so that was the blessing behind, um, you know, uh, families working together. They had like a church uh, meeting with all the deacons and the evangelists. How do we help this young man? How do we, you know, uh, figure out, you know, to remove, don't, we don't want him to be in the, uh, the group home. We don't want to be in the, in the system. And they all came around together and really helped and provided that home. And so foster parents is so necessary. There you go, Ali. Right. And, and that's faith in action. That's totally a good description of yes. faith in action. Nancy? <laughs> yes. And so, you know, there are many um, uh, concepts out there, uh, some of which we're in the process of testing, where we have mentor families placed out in the community that can serve as, as mentors to uh families on the edge, and even mentor families for foster uh, uh, families also too. So we're looking at, at that concept. Um, and so there are uh, numerous um, other types of supports. We know that there some of our children exist in homes where the race, um, you know, the different races of uh, people in care. And so the faith community wants to be that resource for those families also too, so that the, the child has the best in-care experience that right. they can have. So um, we're testing a lot of uh, uh, ideas and pilots out there, but to back to your, uh, what you wanted me to speak about, Janet, what we are doing to uh, recruit um, foster parents, uh, especially foster parents of color, because again, as the Faith Foster Families Network, we serve all, but we're intentionally focused on uh, improving conditions and improving outcomes for African-American uh, children, as well as, and that includes African-American foster parents and, and bio parents and the like. Um, so one of the things that we're doing, we are really in the middle of a recruitment campaign. Um, we, and this started, um, it's actually, it actually started when we started, you know, in that 2018, 2019 timeframe, and we would hold events. We had, we would have hold, um, resource events. We screened, uh, at several of our churches, the documentary Foster and had wonderful panel discussions. We invited all the participants in Foster, many of them participated on our panels. And what we found out was that still we weren't getting a lot of uh, people coming out from the community. And so, we, you know, we were all scratching our heads because we were kind of under the impression, hey, you know, the churches, these, these are pretty prominent churches in the, um, 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 you know, in, in the city, and why aren't people coming? So we then uh, you know, we like, we build it, they will come. Well, okay, we built it, they didn't actually come. So uh, then what, what we ended up doing was conducting a focus a focus group at the end of 2020. We talked to close to 100 people in South LA, uh, all African-American actually, and, you know, wanted to find out what, you know, what is going to encourage you to get involved and ultimately become a, uh, foster parent. And so it, the number one thing they said was education and awareness risk. Leading into the beginning of 2021, which is really our recruitment and awareness raising campaign, we conducted four virtual events uh, starting in January where we actually had Dr. Jessica Price 
uh, talking about blind removals and what have you. Uh, we conducted um, uh, events that were designed to do just that, raise awareness. We had uh, a session where we talked to um, the foster youth that are successful now and have aged out of the system. So we tried to give a breath to um, encourage people to get involved. And we have had some great results from that. We are in the process of um, uh, recruiting for mentors. And so if anybody out there is interested in being mentored to our foster youth, we are recruiting for that. So as a result of our uh, engagement in our virtual events, we've gotten uh, a good response from people who want to do that. And all up and down the chain, including becoming a foster parent. Um, again, the need is great. That is an upper level commitment. And um, so we, but the important part is, is that we as the Faith Foster Families Network are going to be there alongside of you to not only walk you the process, but then be there for support for you. And Tanisha, you hit it right on the head. On Wednesdays, just last night, we had our, what we call our caregiver check-in, and we probably had about seven caregivers on the call. We invited Charity Chandler Cole, who's the new CEO of CASA. She joined us in our caregiver check-in last night, and it was just a wonderful experience. The caregivers appreciated uh, because, you know, we're providing information and a space for them to be heard and be supportive. So it's, it's, we once will help you make that decision. And then the important part is, is that you know, as a new foster parent, you are there is going to be a support system there for you all along the way. Great. And so we're going to transition and this is more going to be specific to um, Tanisha and Christian around faith as a protective factor. The importance of spiritual counseling, the importance of spiritual support. I always say this all the time. I have never met a foster youth that have engaged in services that hasn't had a Bible or even a Quran because their faith is actually sustaining them, right? And I think it's very important even um, in the non kind of congregational in the secular world too, to embrace faith as a very important um, protective factor and to also support young people in their faith walking journey. So Tanisha, um, I would like for you to talk a little bit about um, faith as a protective factor. And then from you, we'll go to, um, Christian, but I, I would like for Christian, as he's listening to you, to also talk about uh, his book as well and why he wrote it and if there is a faith aspect to his book. Yes, that's a, that's a loaded. Okay, okay, you're wrapping this up. Um, I, I'll give the, the secular response again because my faith is something that I'm still working on and for me what was really important um was being surrounded by community and I saw faith um and through the people who I connected with I saw faith show up 
and community through Pastor Saul, through Pastor Eddie Anderson, through people. And I think that that's really important because sometimes when you, when I hear faith, I get really intimidated because it's not something that I'm well versed in, but I know it's something that I believe in. It's something that's a part of my reality, but I feel like my other needs have always superseded that. But faith, faith got me through um, because of my connections to people. They restored my faith and God restored my faith in um and, you know, if you do hard work at the end, you'll get, you know, you'll reap the benefits and you'll get positive results. So um, I'm, I'm speaking very secularly. Uh, <laughs> my faith comes through um, the actions of others and seeing their faith is so strong. And so it's something that I'm still working to get connected with. Um, but I think it's it's really important to have um, spiritual counselors, to have faith counselors, because you're speaking to people, you're addressing them where their needs are. If when I was younger, if I had a spiritual counselor, if I had someone who was speaking to me about the experiences that I was facing in my home, I think my faith and my religious, you know, uh, showing up religiously would be so much stronger because I had folks who were speaking to me and my personal experiences, and then also making that connection to the Bible, making that connection back to my Christianity. Um, I do have faith because I've been through so much in my life that I would not have been able to make it through had I not had faith, as well as my strong community behind me, pushing me forward. Um, and I think, I think there's more than enough room for spiritual counselors for faith to show up because faith is so embedded in our communities. You know, church and the faith house is something, again, it's on every other corner in our community. So to have faith show up and, and speak directly to children, speak directly to families and parents, it's, it's just really important. Mm -hmm. Christian. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Thank you, Tanisha, for sharing. Um, I'll start off by saying that uh, God is real. Faith is real. And hope is real. You know, the, our youth and young adults are in search of something because our families are not there. Our parents are not there. You know, we're in search of just a, a support, right? And so we have this opportunity, especially in the church world, in the faith world, is to be that beacon of light to be that love that God told us to be, the Bible tells us to be. And despite of what our beliefs is, or despite of the sexuality or political or, you know, whatever someone is dealing with, how do we love that person regardless of our own biases and stereotypes? And this is so, so pivotal if, if people are gonna go into the foster care system and realizing, you know, you can't change that person overnight. You have to work with them and introduce them to this idea of faith and love and hope. And so I'm grateful because of the network that I was able to build with my grandmother and my foster family and being in the church. That allowed me to write that book, Uncovering Your Worth, because there was one time where I really didn't know my worth. I really didn't appreciate my worth. I really didn't know, like, you know, all that traumatic experiences is what really brought me to who I am today and adds value to it. It's really, really crazy. And so, you know, um, I can smile about it now and it's very hard for me to cry because I cried all my tears back then. But, you know, it's, I, I just believe in staying positive, being optimistic. And this is what we do as leaders and as advocates. We have to provide that sense of hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And so that's what my book is about. It's really uh, empowering. Um, in, that, in that book, I put my favorite uh, Bible verses 
that really took me through the moments at the times. So I include that in the beginning of each chapter. Each chapter is based upon location. So I was raised, uh, born in San Bernardino, raised in Fresno, then Lancaster, then moved to Sacramento, then came back to LA, go to UCLA, got my degrees, you know, and now I'm back in Lancaster, you know, and foster care is about movement, placement, like going transitions, you know, and this is something that I really just thought about. It. I was very intentional. I prayed about it first and foremost. Um, and I was like, okay, well, God, how do you want me to do this? You know, bless me and figure out how to, uh, to, to word this, be um, transparent, be accountable, um, be very open because families back in the day and, you know, over time, but we used to hold a lot of secrets, you know, uh, especially in, uh, in, our, in our families. And so for me, it's about really being open and transparent and calling to action. So at every chapter, there's a workout plan, you know, like, what did you, you know, what was your, your, your experiences as a youth or uh, what are your dreams or um, in the next five months, six months, you know, it's trying to put action to that faith. And so for me, um, God really opened that door in regards to getting that story out. Um, I've been blessed to share with a lot of different people. And uh, that book is about just empowerment, you know, um, realizing that you have value in your story and no one can take that away. Great. And I know we're running out of time and I hope that our audience just still hangs in with us for a little bit, but I wanted to put this out here because, you know, at this present moment in foster care, many uh, foster youth are about to experience a housing cliff, especially those foster youth who are in THP programs, those foster youth who are exiting IOP program, a lot of those foster youth who had their, their um, housing extended due to the pandemic, and now we're at a point of recovery, and the moratoriums are being lifted, and so there is going to be this huge surge of foster youth who are going to be housing insecure and unhoused. And when I say very soon, we're talking about September, right? So knowing that this housing cliff, cliff is really in our backyard in the next few months, what should our faith communities be doing right now to plan to support our foster youth? Who would like to take that first? I'll take that first, uh, Janet. And so one of the things um, in, in being in partnership with other organizations also too, one of the things is reaching out to the faith community and finding out if there are people in our congregation that have homes, that have rooms, uh, that would be open to uh, housing a, a transition age youth. That, that, that's that's low-hanging fruit right there, meaning that to get that communication out is, is easy. Uh, now, again, the steps to uh, making sure somebody actually follows through, that's the second leg of it. But easily low-hanging fruit, we can certainly alert the congregation uh, that if they are able and have space available, that there's going to be this tremendous need that is coming up shortly. And it is important that we as a faith community steps up and, and provides an answer to this. Tanisha, mm then -hmm. Christian. And, and also I think advocating around that, speaking to our housing leaders in our communities, going to LASA, if 3FN has an advocacy 
um, arm of the organization, we have we are armed with this information. We know what the outcomes are. So how are we also as the faith community advocating within these government organizations? So how are you talking to them? Because September is not far away. The time is not on our side. And I think in Los Angeles, we are geared with these dynamic, dynamic issues of housing crisis that is on top of us where we have gentrification, we have folks that are being displaced and priced out. Um, and so it's just like, it, it's this hard, harsh reality for me personally, as a former foster youth, I'm 31. And for the first time in my life, I'm experiencing stability where I can experience a crisis and be able to bounce back from it. The only way I'm able to come back to Los Angeles, the place that I grew up in, is because I'm afforded, I get housing along with my job. There's no way I can do this work that I love doing and survive out here. I'd be back living in my car. So I think those realities are really, really hard. And we need our faith community to really um, rally behind us and rally behind the awareness that you all have and advocate with the leaders who have the money and who have the power in our communities to be like, hey, this is coming up. And as well as what you said, Miss Nancy, um, host home, you're opening up your home and there is an infrastructure where you, where folks can get a stipend for opening up their home, opening up an extra bedroom. We know empty nest syndrome is something we're asking folks not to sell their homes, especially black folks. Do not sell your homes in LA, you know, keep that in your family. And so, you know, if you need a little bit of extra income or if you're open to opening your doors, I think that that is the realistically the two main things that we can do because non-traditional um, housing is where it's at because the, the housing prices are so unaffordable out here. So please open your doors. Please work with the, the housing authorities in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. And, and work with us too, because we're in the process of starting our household program sometime in September, and we're going to be hosting some training programs as well. Y'all need to start in so, June. <laughs> start in June, so you're you ready for September, because you're going to get that, you're going to get that flood. Well, that's, that's true too, but I, I, I think we're not going to be ready until September. <laughs> But, but at least we're getting ready. And that's that's the most important component of it. And, you know, we're inviting everyone, if you have an interest, to please um, connect with us, send us an email, leave something in the, um, in the inbox or, or the chat so we can get connected. Uh, Christian. Yeah, real quick, because my colleagues really said it all. I will say, Ed, um, when you, when you were talking about the question, I was saying buy property. Like we need to start buying property right. so that we can create a team that will be able to do that. I know that group homes are not the thing nowadays and it's not allowed really too much, um, but we may have to figure out some type of housing. Um, um, I shared housing. Shared housing, you know. Um, there's community homes that's being out here in the Antelope Valley. I know specifically our mayor and them are not proponents of group homes and, and that's a whole nother story. Mm -hmm. But in regards to... Um, reaching out to our elected officials, adding on to what Tanisha said, reaching out to our elected officials, our senators, our assembly people, um, our county supervisors, to see what kind of money can be allocated to prevent this. Like you were saying earlier, it's about prevention. And so for me, you know, we need to get, and I'm on Tanisha's uh, on tail in regards to like, uh, adding on to her coattail is that 
we got to start in June, you know, June, July, like ASAP. If that's good, because this is the first time I've heard of this. So now my mind is thinking and flowing and figuring out how do we, you know, address it. Absolutely. And so I want to thank you, Nancy, Tanisha, Christian, for joining us for today's conversation. And normally what we usually do um, at the end of our Woke Moments podcast is actually end with the Woke Moment. So you can start with, um, and at a woke moment could be a reflection of what we talked about today, or a woke moment could be something that you want to leave with the audience. And we normally start off with my woke moment is, or my woke moment was. So let's begin with you, Nancy. My woke moment was when I read a quote uh, from Nelson Mandela uh, who says there is no keener revelation of a society's soul than in the way it treats its children. Mm -hmm. That grabbed me. That is on our website at 3FN, in addition to uh, James 1, verse 27. Um, that, that shook me. It has stayed with me, and it is uh, true, and we have to do better by our children. Tanisha. Yeah, um, I'm going to drop an album for one of my woke moments. Uh, Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. I was struggling in my community college experience and listening to his album really opened my heart, opened my mind and eyes to a lot that was going on around me and a lot that I was personally feeling. So I will be listening to that whole album today after this podcast. <laughs> All right. Shout out to Kendrick Lamar. That's right. Um, I would say my woke moment is uh, or was what uh, what was stated today by Miss Saunders, and she said, uh, "Hope is intimidating. I mean, faith is intimidating. Mm -hmm. Faith is intimidating, and faith can be intimidating in this time frame because you you know uh, there's a scripture now: faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Because we cannot see it, you know, it's hard for us to really think that we can attain it." And we live in a society where it's just very, you know, it's, it's, we're lacking that hope and lacking that faith. And so for me, I want to encourage everyone that watches this uh, podcast or listens to this podcast that faith is real and it is attainable. Uh, don't be intimidated by it because it is a reality for us. It was for me as well. But it's also a way of getting through it and uh, just understanding that, you know, you stay optimistic and, and fight for it. It can be attainable. So that would be it. All right. I want to thank our audience for joining us for our Woke Moments podcast. I also want to invite you to also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. And thank you again for joining us for our conversation on Faith Matters and foster care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Woke Moment. For more information about our organization, please visit SOH.org. Subscribe to us for a woke moment wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore SOH underscore LA and on Facebook and Instagram at Sanctuary of Hope LA. Why God?